the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A Christian who just goes through the motions, comes with unconfessed sin, or fails to think deeply about the meaning of communion isn't just guilty of dishonoring the ordinance of communion or the elements. He is guilty of dishonoring, like that flag, the one that it represents. Join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen. As Christians, often, when we think about going or coming to church, and particularly this church, we can often view church and the gathering of His saints as we do face masks, or seatbelts for that matter. Because when we come to church, there are a few things that commonly come to mind, maybe not for all of you, but there are things from the spiritual. Learn more about God's Word. Fellowship with believers. Have our kids learn Bible stories. Sing worshipful songs. To the practical, I want to dress appropriately. What can we do to make sure we're on time? Where can I serve? Whom to grab lunch with afterwards? Where to sit? How to navigate COVID and its related regulations? But why do I say that then is sometimes the way we view face masks during this time of this pandemic, or seatbelts as we always have. Because in the midst of all that goes on in the local church, even behind the scenes, and in your lives, the lives of the congregation, there's one aspect of church that is most often mentioned, but less often practiced. The glory of God. We get busy. We go through the motions. We do things even though our heart isn't in it. Masks, seatbelts. We forget about the biggest issue, the highest reason, the greatest motivation, the glory of God. We can go through an entire Sunday. We can sing these words. We can listen to the sermon. We could preach the sermon. We could greet people. We can write down prayer requests and go home and say, wait a minute, in all that frantic trying to talk to who I wanted to talk to, getting to church, getting the kids ready, getting the baby diapered, I forgot to make sure that my heart glorified God in all of it. Having the right heart as we make our way to church can be difficult. It's busy. Our lives are frenetic, to be honest. And in all of that practical but necessary busy work, even for those who serve. These things don't set up themselves. Laying of cable, covering the cable so the rest of us don't trip, zooming in, making sure the sound is right, 
tuning the guitar, placing the mics. And then for all of you who aren't behind the scenes, even just getting here on time, we lose sight of the why of our presence, the why of the reason we are here to glorify God, God's glory, for He is worthy. And as we have seen, this is a danger that we can easily fall into, especially when it comes to communion, the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. And this morning as we continue our study of the Lord's Supper, Paul continues and cuts to the quick by giving a warning regarding communion. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. We're in the middle of a four-part series, and he continues, he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Like any warning, this is a call to action. You understand that? We are given warnings, not just so we know the warnings, so that we will do something. So we will have an exit plan for our kids when the earthquake hits. So that we have fire extinguishers prepared if there is a fire. Warnings are a call to action. And so our outline this morning from this warning is three steps in preparing for communion. Heed the warning and take these steps. Three steps in preparing for communion. Because we've seen how in this letter to the Corinthians... Paul has addressed that these believers 2,000 years ago are actually perverting the Lord's Supper. We saw this in verses 17 through 22. Their particular perversion of the Lord's Supper was basically a form of prejudice where the rich were neglecting the poor and even letting them go hungry and even creating factions based on economic prosperity or lack thereof. It was selfishness, pride. We saw the significance of what communion means in verses 23 through 26. And both passages giving us an understanding of the importance of communion and subsequently the importance of how we approach communion. So this morning we talk about how to make sure we have the right perspective, the right heart, the right preparation before we take those symbolic, yes, but very important elements of the Lord's table. Three steps in preparing for communion. And just as with any threat or warning, we are to respond. So the subject of the warning does not happen to us. The first step in preparing for communion is prize the significance. Prize the significance of the elements, of the service, of everything. Let me read for you again verse 27 where I get this point. Paul writes, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. We've seen the significance of the Lord's table throughout this passage. Specifically, in last week's passage, we saw that the bread represents Christ's body that was sacrificed for us, for our sin. The cup represents the blood, which initiates the new covenant. 
And the practice of taking both of those is a proclamation of the gospel. This is a quick review of what we saw last week. And from all of that, Paul draws a conclusion, a logical consequence, starting in verse 27 and indicated by the word, therefore. Because it is so important, because of what these elements represent and what you are doing in taking those elements, therefore. And then he goes into this warning. So after laying down the significance of the Lord's table, he now points a finger directly at the one who takes it in an unworthy manner. But what does it mean to take communion unworthily? First, understand that because of the very thing we commemorate in the Lord's table, Christ's sacrifice for us, we are saved. Those of us who have committed our lives to the Lord, accepted Him as our Lord and repented of our sin, we are saved. We're believers. We're Christians. And what that means, listen carefully, as Christians, we are positionally That is, in our position, our standing before God, because of Christ, we are positionally worthy to take communion. However, we may be conditionally or practically unworthy at the present moment because of sin in our lives. Sin hurts our fellowship with God. So anything in our lives that hurts that relationship must be taken seriously. Anger, Pride, lack of love, love of money, not giving to the church, laziness, lack of prayer, all of those things we understand are clearly commanded in Scripture. And there are some things that we don't take as seriously, that we don't take as heavily, but if they are commanded in Scripture, they are sin. If you've broken one point of the law, you've broken the whole law. That's the point. It doesn't matter if you, in your mind, or society, or even the church you're in, the church culture thinks, well, this is lesser and this is bigger. Obviously, some have more practical ramifications, but Jesus made it very clear that in the eyes of God, anger is the same as murder. Now, we understand murder has more practical ramifications. Even when you repent, you will have lifelong guilt for the life you have taken. I assume especially so if that life had a family and children, things like that. So there are more practical ramifications. But as far as God is concerned, it is the same. And so monetary greed is the same as adultery in God's eyes. Sin is sin. We must take it all seriously. Not praying, not evangelizing is just as bad as actively lying, deceiving your boss or your spouse. It's all breaking the law. And we need to keep in mind that any relationship is Two ways, right? It's a two-way street. Give and take. Compromise. Meet your halfway. It's not enough if you are happy with God. I'm happy with my relationship with God. Things are good. That's not enough. You want to make sure He is happy with you. Now, your position, again, will never change because you are saved. It's based on the work of Christ, not your works. Praise God for that. So your position of salvation, you can never lose your salvation. Your position will never change. But He doesn't like your sin. He doesn't like it when you sin. It grieves Him. It grieves the Holy Spirit. All the more because in this relationship, unlike any other two-way relationship, He is holy. He is your Creator. You belong to Him. And so though you may be fine with your sin, your lifestyle, your patterns of behavior, no matter how well you justify them, you need to make sure that you see them from God's perspective. 
And this relates directly to what Paul says the Corinthians are doing back in verses 20 through 22. But we understand that God cares about other sins as well. It's not that you can come in with a sinful heart to take communion, that you've just lied to your kids this morning to get here. Let's say it's a, a Sunday we're taking communion. You lied to your kids so you could get here on time. You come in with pride and fear of man. You're not worshiping. You're almost scoffing at the lyrics. And you say, well, according to 1 Corinthians 11, I am not being prejudiced against the poor and refusing to share my food with them and so I can take communion in a worthy manner. No, that's not what he's saying. That is an example of sin. All sin that is not dealt with in in the right way when you come to the elements makes you take communion in an unworthy manner. We need to see things from God's perspective. There are things that in your mind you don't even think are sin. You, are, you think they're okay. And at the risk of sounding like one of those pastors, one of those churches, I bring up finances because I think especially here in the Bay Area, that's one of the most common, common thoughts. Oh, I, I give to them and I, and I'm, I, I really let, I p- let people uh, borrow my car and use my house and stuff and so uh, I don't need to give to the church. And you're okay with that. You think that's okay. You've justified it. But that's sin. Well, we can use the same thought, the same pattern with anything. Well, yeah, I know that was bad, but hey, I'm not looking at stuff online. It's just a fleeting glance at that cute barista or whatever. I'm not doing anything. I'm faithful to my spouse. No, it's still bad. It's still sin. We need to see things from God's perspective. And this is not just about what the Corinthians were doing but also about what we're doing, what we do. Not just at the Lord's Supper, but also before the Lord's Supper in our daily lives. And this theme is found throughout the Scriptures in that God desires a right heart attitude in any aspect of worship. Not Sunday worship, any aspect of worship. And to clarify, any aspect of your life should be worship. One of Christ's biggest rebukes of the Jews of His day was that they were going through the motions, but that their hearts were far from Him. Listen as I read Matthew fifteen seven and 8. Speaking to the leaders of the Jews, the great teachers of the law, the Pharisees, He says, you hypocrites. Now we read the Gospels and, and we say, well, naturally, these were the enemies of God. These were the people who were putting legal, legalistic burdens on the Jewish people, God's people. And so we come with that mindset. But you got to imagine that Jesus saying this to R.C. Sprawl, John MacArthur, that is how jarring it would have been to the people who are hearing this. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, and then he quotes the Old Testament, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. And we see this. The Pharisees were saying, oh yeah, I'm of God. You need to do this. Look at me. I'm holy. I'm righteous. Listen to what I teach. But let's bring it home. Honor God with your lips, but your hearts are far from Him. Maybe you heard Kyle read the passage and you're following along in your Bible or your Bible app, but you you weren't there. There's an unconfessed sin that's just pulling you away from fellowship with God. Maybe you've sung these songs a million times and today was a million and one, but you didn't think about them. You weren't worshiping. You weren't concentrating. You honor Him with your lips, but your heart is far away from Him. 
Then two times he tells the Pharisees that they need to learn the meaning of Hosea 6.6, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. He's talking to the Old Testament believers. You can sacrifice all the bulls that you want, all the doves, all the animals. But what God cares about is compassion. That is what God cares about is the heart. You can come every week. You could give all your money. You could be the loudest singer. You could be the most helpful helper. But he wants your heart. He wants your heart. To put it in our context, God desires the right heart attitude and not just showing up and putting bread and juice in your mouth. One of the biggest ways we take communion in an unworthy manner is to just go through the motions, having a ritualistic mindset. Devoid of any emotion or any thinking through of its significance and thereby not seeing any need to confess your sin before taking. On the other end of the spectrum, you can take communion unworthily by thinking that the elements somehow impart extra merit to your soul. That it somehow advances God's work on the cross for you. Changes your position in His eyes. Or even thinking it's necessary for salvation or to remain saved to take communion. That also, with that mindset, is taking it in an unworthy manner. See, this Greek word unworthily can refer to the measuring of weights on a scale, a balance scale. You know what that is? The scale with two sides. We don't use them often today. They used to use this, or they still use this in the marketplace in Albania where I used to live. You'd go out and farmers would come in and they'd, they'd sell at like a, we'd call it a farmer's market, but it's just their regular market. That's where you buy your, your produce on a daily basis. And they have those scales with these little brass weights. And they've been doing it long enough so that when you, you put your few stalks of celery or your broccoli, they can kind of gauge. And so they, they put the appropriate weights and they keep adjusting it until it's even. Then they look at the weights they put on and they know that it matches how much you've bought. And then they charge you per kilo there, per pound here. And when each side holds an equal weight, you have balance. And when one side weighs more than the other, you have misalignment. And that's the word unworthy here in 1 Corinthians 11. In terms of the Lord's table, you have the weight of communion dropping low because of your wrong attitude on the other side, which is too light and is not equal to the heaviness of communion. And thus you take it unworthily. We need to fix our perspective of communion and of the Lord so when we take the elements, the balance is equal or at least as humanly as possible. That we revere and weigh heavily the reality and the significance of communion. In our verse this morning, Paul goes on to say that if you take the elements unworthily for any reason, you are, quote, guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's quite significant, but what does it mean? Guilty, obviously, is a judicial term. In this context, it means that Christians are answerable to God for the abuse of His Supper. To be guilty of the body and the blood of Christ means that your attitude in taking communion does not reflect what the elements symbolize. Let me help you understand this with an illustration. When you turn on the news and they're highlighting someone or a group of people that are angry with things in our country. And sometimes they are burning or trampling on the American flag. 
they are not making a statement about a piece of cloth that has stars and stripes on it. In fact, they would be upset if that's what you thought. They are making a statement about what that piece of cloth represents, the United States of America. In the same way, a Christian who just goes through the motions, comes with unconfessed sin, or fails to think deeply about the meaning of communion isn't just guilty of dishonoring the ordinance of communion or the elements. He is guilty of dishonoring, like that flag, the one that it represents. And that's what Paul means when he says, when you take it in an unworthy manner, you are guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. You're not guilty of the juice and the bread. You're not guilty of wasting the church's money or wasting that juice and that wafer, wasting the usher's time back when we would pass it out row to row. You are guilty of dishonoring the one that those elements represent and specifically the sacrifice of the one, the death on the cross. And as we saw last week, not only a sacrifice, but the entirety of the meaning of the new covenant and believers saved. So the first step in preparing for communion is to prize the significance. Get it. Understand it. Meditate on it. But how do we keep from partaking in an unworthy manner? And that leads us to our second step in preparing for communion, practice self-examination. Look at verse 28. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The word but, or then, in the ESV, signifies what the believer is to do rather than take the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner and thereby be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Paul says, quite simply, we are to examine ourselves. Obviously, the examination is based on Scripture, but what exactly are we looking for? Paul doesn't specify here. But, thankfully, we have the entirety of the New Testament, and elsewhere, he uses the same Greek word, examine, and tells us two different major categories or areas of what we should be looking for in this self-examination before communion, but also on a regular basis basis. The first is whether or not you are truly a Christian. Now, before you say, okay, get that, you're talking to unbelievers and you check that off and kind of tune out to the second point, I invite you to turn ahead a few pages to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And as you turn there, I want to give you other words that Paul has used in both 1 and 2 Corinthians to address or call these people that he is writing to. He has called them beloved. He has called them brethren. He has called them saints. And now he says, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? Every person, pastors included, elders included, deacons included, Every person who believes themselves to be a Christian would do well to examine themselves to see if they are indeed a Christian. If that test is passed, there is a second test involved in this self-examination, and I'd like you to turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 4. This is the second 
type of examination that we see Paul calls for for Christians. He says, each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. In other words, now that you know you're a Christian, examine your works. Examine your obedience. Examine your heart. Examine if you are living the way God wants you to live. Now, in this particular verse, I'm going to give you a little mini-sermon within our sermon because I want to bring out a few nuances about what Paul says here in Galatians 6.4 and really it connects to what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 11. The first is this examination of our faith, of our lives as believers, is a continuous command. We see this in the Greek tense, the Greek grammar. So this is something we are to do constantly, on a regular basis. Not just when you feel like you're struggling, not just when you know there's a big sin that you, ha- you are having trouble dealing with, but all the time. It's not the kind of test that once you pass, you're good to go for the rest of your life. This was true of many of our exams in college. Many of us got through high school and college this way. You crammed the night before, and then that morning on the test, you basically vomited all out on that piece of paper, and then you literally, as you're walking out, people are like, hey, what was the answer number five? I, I don't know. I can't even remember what, what subject. You, you, you forgot it all. But you aced the exam, but you just, you're like, I have no need to remember this. I don't want to study this. I hated this class, and I'm just going to cram, dump, and then I'm through. We, we can't view this self-examination of our Christian lives this way. Okay? This is more closer to that physical exam that you have with your doctor. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.